1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. Uh, we may read a little more than just those three verses. In those verses, we're going to find a passage of Scripture that if you look at all the relationships and friendships in the Bible, this is one that comes near the top in terms of priority. And it has to do with the relationship and friendship between David and Jonathan. So to set this up in context, in verse uh, in chapter 17 is the story of David as he has a battle with Goliath, the defeat of Goliath. The story picks up in chapter 18. And that's what we're going to read. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we'll start reading in verse number 1. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, Saul asked David, uh, you know, who are you? Where did you come from? Who's your father? And David describes that. Uh, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him, gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. So it seems like that was a key moment with Saul in which his heart turned to envy and to jealousy. The friendship of Jonathan and David is interesting. It was formed in a time of war. Uh, it survived jealousy and it survived the madness of Jonathan's father, Saul. Jonathan was a warrior in his own right and he was the son of Saul. He had every right to the throne in progression. David was the youngest of eight sons and his father was aged. He was taking care of the sheep. Uh, when Samuel asks his father if there is another son, um, Goliath brought the two together and it occurs right before chapter 18 and chapter 17. Notice that David is brought to Saul's house. He is not allowed to return. Saul includes him into the family. And there's a friendship that is forged in that moment and Jonathan gives him his robe, his garments, his sword, his bow. He gives him all the 
the weapons of his warfare that would have been very personal to himself. And instead of becoming jealous of David and what David did with Goliath, a friendship is formed, a bond is formed, and he gives David a gift of sacrifice. Uh, Saul becomes very jealous and he seeks David's death. Jonathan, in the midst of all of this, <clears throat> has the ability to stand by his friendship with David and yet still, in the midst of all of that, try to honor his father Saul. He helps David escape Saul's intentions of trying to kill him. And he asks David that he would still be committed to the family of Saul, which later in David's reign, he shows favor to Mephibosheth and he invites him to the king's table. Great illustration of friendship and we see some elements here of, of what healthy relationships look like. And Saul and, and Jonathan really helps us understand that healthy relationships, many in many cases, the foundational element of a healthy relationship is self-sacrifice. And that's what Jonathan did. He sacrificed a lot of things in the story, but when the friendship is formed, he doesn't create a feeling of animosity or jealousy or envy that his father obviously could not control. But through his own self-sacrifice, he's able to forge a friendship with David that creates one of the healthy relationships that is used as an illustration or example in the scripture. So I think that's a great illustra illustration to start with. And if you wanna read more about that, you can find uh, between chapters 18, 19, and 20 in 1 Samuel, more about that relationship and what transpired. God gives us the blueprint for successful relationships. And this is one of the reasons why I stated in the beginning we should have a better grasp and handle on, on this subject uh, than others because the scripture, Jesus Christ, gives to us um, the key elements of what makes for healthy relationships. Two commandments are to be considered and they're found in Matthew chapter 22. We must first love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and that first act of obedience helps us with the second commandment, that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And the scripture I'm referring to is Matthew chapter 22 and starting in verse 35. So let's turn there. Matthew chapter 22. beginning in, in verse 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him, him being Jesus, a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor 
as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. How shall we love the Lord our God? It's found in verse 37. With all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, and with all thy mind. What is the second greatest commandment? The second greatest commandment is that we should love thy neighbor as thyself. These two commandments are very, very connected. And it's obvious that the first one is directly connected to the second. If we're loving God with all our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, it's going to have a reflection on our relationship. If we don't love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, then there's going to be a negative, unhealthy relationship. So the foundation, according to Jesus, is God is the first priority, the first pursuit, and, and we should pursue that with everything that is in us. Then, because of that strong connection between loving God with everything that is in us, there's going to be a strong motivation to have healthy relationships with other people that are around us. And that relationship includes friendships, it includes family relationships, it includes marital relationships, it includes sibling relationships, it includes um, church relationships, brothers and sisters, and it also includes how we should respond to our world. This is the blueprint. And, and the blueprint or the foundation of healthy relationships is in this word, selflessness, selflessness. According to Jesus' standards, giving and serving and preferring the other person above yourself, those are the key elements. So selflessness is not just focusing on me. Our world is full of me. It's driven by me. It's focused on me. And the scripture cuts a different way that we should prefer one another, that we should take time out to stop thinking just about our needs and that we should think about other people. And that takes selflessness. Um, loving others implies that you love yourself. He says here, the last part of that, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. So there's nothing wrong with loving yourself. As a matter of fact, you can't love someone else until you recognize your own value. And through the scripture, your value is connected to the fact that you are created by God. You were intentionally created by God. You are a child of the King. God has done great things in your life and therefore, you love yourself through those lens in that relationship. And because of that, then you can love others. <laughs> That's a really deep concept, but I can love others based on understanding my value is in God and God has done so much for me. And so because he's done so much for me and because he's forgiven me and because I recognize I am who I am, not because I'm defined by world standards, or not because I'm defined by the way I even think about myself, because many times people don't love themselves, and in the process of not loving themselves, they're so dysfunctional, they can't have healthy relationships with anybody else because they're so down on themselves. God sets us up with a different mindset. In order for you to reach out and have healthy relationships with other people, 
You have to have an understanding of who you are and what God has richly done in your life. Amen. We are created in his image and we are his creation. We have value no matter what we think about who we are and what we are and our failures and circumstances. So I have to have a good self-awareness of what God has done for me and that's going to be responsive to the relationships that I create around me. Now, that is the blueprint. Selflessness is the foundation of healthy relationships. You are not going to have healthy relationships if you're only thinking about you. And, and Jesus gives us two commandments and he says the law and the prophets, everything hangs on these two commandments. So that creates, uh, that creates quite a few questions for us. What does that mean in real life? <laughs> the practicality of, of that principle, what does that mean in real life? And how do we love someone we don't know? How do we love someone we do know but we don't like? And should we continue to love someone who has hurt us? These are all legitimate questions and they all spring from or should spring from the foundation here, which is the scripture. These are challenging questions, but God helps us navigate them while we're pursuing him and others. And that's a key component. We pursue him and others. And there's a direct connection with that. All healthy Christian relationships depend on the same component, having Christ-like love for others. And with Christ's love, we are patient, kind, and we keep no record of wrongs. A key passage of scripture from, to help us understand that, and we're going to look at this because if God gives us the blueprint, selflessness, stop focusing on me. We get so stinking caught up. Sorry, I don't want to hit things too much because last time I hit the table and it stopped the feed and everybody didn't get the last part of the illustration. But we get so focused on me and, and how I've been wronged and how I, 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 turns into an I thing. And in order, in, in order for healthy relationships to take place, you can't always focus on you. And so if Jesus gives to us the blueprint, then Paul provides to us the roadmap. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is what is known as the love chapter, and so he defines what love is. Let's turn there. Uh, in the King James Version, it's going to call love charity, uh, but charity is love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So turn there. First Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 7. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not 
charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinking, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. What a powerful passage of scripture. What are we without love? Verses one through three, he says, if I don't have love, I'm a sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. If I don't have love, I am nothing. And though if I don't have love, again, he says, it profits me nothing. And then he goes on to describe some aspects of what love is. Some aspects of what we're talking about here in this passage of Scripture are, is easier to live out than others. And we live in a world nowadays in which many people have more meaningful relationships digitally than they do in person. Things have changed dramatically on a social level. Social media creates relationships that are much different than in-person relationships. So that's an interesting question to pose. What does it mean to really have a Christian relationship? Paul gives us that roadmap, and it's a prerequisite, according to Paul, to living a life of significance. Everybody wants to live a life of significance and meaning and purpose. And Paul says, if you're gonna live a life it's that significant. The roadmap to get there is going to be based on an understanding of what love is. And so he defines what love is in a few ways. And so we're going to take this piece by piece in this and talk about that roadmap. First of all, Paul says that love is patient. It's patient. Sometimes we show more patience for strangers than those close to us. Taking time to communicate without becoming defensive takes patience. Asking rather than assuming is patience. And love is patient. And I'll be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, that is one of my struggles. Patience is not one of my key Shrinks. I have to work on this. But Paul said, if you want a life that's meaningful, you got to work on the fact that love is patient. Love is kind. When you're doing something for others rather than simply focusing on yourself, that's what kindness is. Love is kind. Love is patient. It doesn't assume. It asks. Um, it doesn't move Quickly, It doesn't just move right to defensiveness. It doesn't, the last lesson that we talked about on communication, that was one of the key things is we can be, we can be 
hearing but not listening. We're hearing something, but we're planning and focusing on what we're going to say, and then we insert our opinion. That would be a point of impatience. Patient, uh, patience is, is uh, not assuming. Love is kind, so it's not a focusing on just myself. Love is contentedness. Love does not envy. Learning to be secure, comfortable, and contented where you are and what you have alleviates the need for jealousy. So love is contentedness. Love is being contented with where I am and what I have. It doesn't mean that I can't try to better my situation, and I should try to better my situation. I should strive to be the best that I could be. But what it does is it takes away me looking at everybody else and wanting what they have or envying what they have, envying where they've come from or, or what privileges they have. A lot of times when we make those claims and we develop these feelings, we don't know where the person's come from. <laughs> we don't know how hard they had to work to get there. We don't know the hardships they went through. We don't know any of that. And so what we're doing is we're measuring our life based on other people and comparing ourselves. This is never a good thing. Love is contentedness. It is saying, instead of being negative, instead of decrying where I am in my situation, I'm contented with where I am and I'm determined to better myself and be responsible for myself to make things better in my own abilities, using the word of God and the presence of God and the spirit of God to carve out a life of significance without trying to tear down everybody else and what they have. This is not healthy. And that's where jealousy and envy comes in. And there are marketeers in our world that constantly push and prod and poke those buttons because they know that directly connected to that's a lot of unrest. Jealousy never gets you anywhere. Envy never gets you anywhere. Makes you miserable. Makes you insignificant in your own eyes and other people's eyes. It's not something that God creates or intends. He intends for us to be contented. And so I should be happy for other people. I should celebrate the success of other people. And that goes a long way at killing envy and jealousy. That's a... Envy is a monster, and the way that you kill that particular monster is you celebrate other people's accomplishments. Rather than trying to figure out how to tear them down, how can you build them up, and how can you celebrate their accomplishments? Love is patience. Love is kind. Love is contentedness. Love is humility. Love does not boast. Being content and being humble go together. When you're content, many times you're humble and it goes together. Jesus exemplified this in his ministry. He constantly ran up against the Pharisees who were the elite of the day. They stood on the street corners. Uh, they viewed everybody in, in a different way. They were in one place and everybody else seemingly was below them. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I've not come to try to help you in your pride and your arrogancy. I've come to reach out to those people 
that need salvation. You're going to come across people, a lot of affluent areas. It's hard to infiltrate those areas because they don't feel like they need anything. It was the same way in Jesus' day. Jesus said, I'm coming to those who are hurting. Doesn't mean that someone who is affluent can't be hurting because it can be the case, but they have to be desirous of that or hungry to pursue that. It's for those people that Jesus has come. Love is not proud. And if love is not proud, the flip side of pride is humility. And there are different ways to be to have pride, there's some positive ways. We should take pride in our appearance, in our dress. We should take pride in our career. We should take pride in our family. We should take pride in our accomplishments. There's nothing wrong with that kind of pride. But when pride becomes the most important thing in life, and it's what drives everything, it creates a stumbling block before God because Everything is measured through the lens of self-interest. And self-interest is not, it's not the blueprint and it's not the way that you get healthy relationships. Listen, if, if your family and your, uh, the way that you appear and your accomplishments and all that you do, if that's all that you talk about, people are naturally going to find themselves withdrawing from you because you're not self you're not involved in selflessness it's all about self so pride is pride is is that tightrope of of walking and and knowing that there are some things that I should be proud of it's it's not a bad thing to be proud of your children's accomplishments it's not a bad thing to be proud of your accomplishments and your family. But if all you can do is talk about you and yours, and you can't get in the world of other people, how can there be a healthy relationship? Because everything funnels right into you. That's not the blueprint for healthy relationships because remember, healthy relationships start with your love for God and as you love yourself, you love others. So selflessness is a key part in all relationships. I wanna hear about what you've done. I wanna hear about your accomplishments, but when our conversation is over and you've not given me the opportunity in the conversation to express what God has done in my life and the things that are important to me, then all you've done is put the focus on you. And if you're not careful, pride has a way of rising up and then it becomes a stumbling block in every area of your life. And Paul said the roadmap to significant life is not filled with pride, it's filled with humility. And when pride becomes the most important thing in our life, it becomes a stumbling block. Love is encouraging. Love does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. One of the ways we can love others is to help them succeed in their lives. Not by, not by saying one thing to them and then going back around and gossiping about them. Not manipulating for self-serving reasons, but rather supporting them, encouraging them, and preferring them. Love is encouraging. So, if all you can do in relationships is belittle, 
both verbally and non-verbally. You can say something verbally and you can say something non-verbally. If you roll your eyes, shrug your shoulders, you're saying something. And if that's all you're saying, you're not bringing encouragement to a relationship. You're bringing toxicity to a relationship. And Paul would say the roadmap to significant living is for love to be love to be patient, love to be kind, love to be contented, love to be humble, love to be encouraging, love to be uplifting. And then love is also forgiving. Love is not easily angered and does not keep record of wrong. When you resolve something and you work through a conflict, love is forgiving and doesn't keep record of that. So many people ruin the present and the future by bringing stuff up from the past into the present. You always, you never, and it's usually, those words are usually always attached and associated with something that was supposed to be resolved. Paul said to live significantly, love is encouraging, uplifting, edifying, but it's also forgiving. And this is a hard, hard concept. It's a very hard concept. Everybody gets hurt by someone. And Jesus put right in the plank of his prayer, his pattern of prayer, that you should pray every time you pray, it's there. And that is in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 12. He says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Be very, very careful that you don't judge someone so harshly and forget that God has forgiven you so much. This does not mean we purposely put ourselves in harm's way. And we'll, we'll say something about that in a minute. But in the context of a safe healthy relationship, we are able to release offenses and pursue peace rather than competition and strife. When you're in the context of a healthy and a safe relationship, love gives you the ability to push past offenses and pursue peace. And I found that to be the case. Someone that is wrapped up in unhealthy relationships and toxic situations they offenses come their way and, and they're very much passionate about hanging on and exacting every bit of vengeance out of something that's not healthy that's not healthy and that usually comes from a place of being insecure not feeling safe that usually comes from a place of relationships that are are very unhealthy, not healthy. And so Paul, if, if we're in some of those situations and we find some of those tendencies in our life, we need to recognize that the scripture is here to help us, number one, understand what a biblical blueprint is, but then how, how to pursue on the roadmap of, of significant living what love is. And love is forgiving. Love is, is honest. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. And truth sometimes can be corrective. 
and it's not always easy, but truth should always come from the standpoint of great love. Jesus and the scripture make some very strong statements that are sometimes not easy to swallow. But I know, and you know, if you have a love for the scripture, that it's coming from his great sacrifice. Calvary is quite a great sacrifice. Salvation, his blood being shed and his life, his death, burial, and resurrection was such a great sacrifice. I think it's safe to say that anything that comes from that understanding, and Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. Coming from that understanding is coming from great love. Love is honest. And the closer you get in relationships, the greater transparency, the greater transparency should take place. <clears throat> if I'm a casual acquaintance with you, I, I love in a certain way. The closer our friendship and relationship, Jonathan's soul was knit with David. That means that they had a very close relationship. The closer the relationship, the greater the transparency should be. Because why? Because love is honest. And that produces a, a vulnerability that honesty does. Closer and closer you get to a relationship, and the marital relationship should be one of the closest relationships that there is. There should be great transparency, great honesty, great vulnerability, because we have come together. So when certain friendships that we have, we, we're not as transparent, and that's okay. We're not as transparent. But the closer we get in friendship, the greater the transparency. One of, one of my pet peeves, and this is just a pet peeve of mine, is it seems like people on social media, they, they're projecting their entire life, everything, 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 to the point where there's no mystery. I don't think that's necessarily healthy either. We should use forms of communication and ways of relating to other people in a wise manner, but we shouldn't just be transparent on a social platform with people that don't even know who we are, that then give them the ability to speak bad about us, could be bad about the church, could be bad about everybody else, because what we're sending out this is not wise. You can, you can create a stigma. Maybe, maybe you're putting something out on social media that puts the church in a bad light that could be the very stumbling block for somebody that might want to come to church. This is, this is not good. So our lives should be transparent to the friendships and the strong relationships that we build and not be an open book just to everybody and everything that we're putting. We, we should, <coughs> excuse me, we should be very cautious and have some wisdom about what we're projecting about our lifestyle. Facebook is not a place that you just go uh, reveal all the junk. The closer the relationship, the greater the transparency. There's a difference between casual friends and deeper relationships. And love is honest. And it's transparent. 
And there is a place and a time for that. We need to be very cautious where we allow that place and that time to be. Love is, as you're adding all of these things up, I mean, love is patient, it's kind, it's contented, it is humble, it's encouraging, it's forgiving, it's honest. These are all like pieces that then morph into love that creates an environment. Love is protective and trusting. Love always protects and love always trusts. A position of safety rather than distrust. Love should create an environment where it's a, an environment of safety, not one of distrust or manipulation. And all of these aforementioned pieces work together to create that environment. And that creates a feeling of safety. A feeling of safety gives me the ability to trust. And if any of these pieces are absent, the first thing that then is lost is trust. And when trust goes, so does safety. So does that protect that protection. So goes that trust. So all these pieces that we're talking about, patient, kind, humble, honest, forgiving, encouraging, these, these all create environments of, of safety, security. And when these pieces are absent, then we don't feel secure, we don't feel safe, we feel insecure, and then ultimately we don't trust. And ladies and gentlemen, Trust is something that, that takes time, that takes effort. You may be in some situations where you feel like that is something that's absent. It doesn't happen overnight. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take looking at all of these pieces and adding them back in. You've got to add them back in to start building things back to that environment. You can't change an environment just by the apology. You can't change the environment uh, just by an acknowledgement. You change an environment over time. And then I find it very ironic because I know there's some that would be listening to me that would say, I feel like I'm in relationships that are healthy relationships. And I know what you're talking about because it's a healthy relationship. I feel safe. I feel like if there are confrontations and there's always going to be confrontation, that it's a proper environment that we can work through that. And then I also know that there's another group that is sitting there thinking all these pieces that are supposed to be in that, in place for that environment to occur, they're not there. Well, what we have to do and what Paul has given to us is a roadmap. Jesus says, here's the blueprint. Be selfless. Involve yourself in selflessness, not self-seeking. That's the blueprint. Paul says, here's the roadmap. And so there, there are pieces that I have to work on to create and foster that environment. And we're all working on that. Now, <clears throat> having said all that, 
There are boundaries for safe relationships. Safety, security is a place where trust can be built. And those are safe relationships. There, have to, there has to be boundaries that are set in place for safe relationships. Not every relationship should be fostered in our life. Having love for others does not mean allowing them to hurt us or to use us. And as we seek God for wisdom and compassion, we learn to set healthy boundaries with people who are self-centered or seek their own good. So this is a key point, and I know that when we start talking about this, we're talking about love and what it should be, and there's always the question in the back of our mind, well, what about this situation and that situation? That's why I brought up all the questions in the beginning about, well, how does love interact with someone I don't know? How does love interact with someone I don't like? How does love interact with someone that, that offends me? Okay, so Paul gives us the roadmap but the roadmap is also there to help us establish some boundaries. As we seek God for wisdom and compassion, we learn to set healthy boundaries with people who are self-centered and seek their own good. And that's not a bad thing. It's a thing of necessity. And Proverbs chapter 27 and verse number 12 gives to us a great little nugget. Proverbs 27 and 12. A prudent man foreseeth evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. So the wise in this situation perceives evil and the King James says hides himself. Um, there would be other ways of translating that. A wise man sees the trouble coming and, and is wise enough to avoid some situations or to set some boundaries in some situations. Those that don't just go right on and they end up being punished by loose boundaries, uh, uncritical boundaries, not thinking about boundaries. And this creates something to their own hurt. Uh, what should one do with dangerous situations, unhealthy or toxic relationships? That's a good question. Unfortunately, for many, they misinterpret some passages. I want to just focus on a few of those passages. Jesus said, that you should, he told the disciples this, you should not resist evil, but whosoever shall smite you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. That's one verse. Luke chapter six and verse 27 says, but I say unto you which hear, love your enemies and do good to them which hate you. These verses are two verses that are examples of people taking them out of context or misinterpreting them. These verses do not mean you should allow yourself to be used by other people or abused by other people, to be manipulated by other people, to be harmed by other people. That would then mean then to be a good Christian, you would allow yourself to be a doormat for others to walk on. This is not, this is not 
what the scripture is describing. And in the first case, turning your cheek and letting someone slap you on the other side is a form of resistance. It's nonviolent, but it's still resistance. Jesus is not saying that people should just, you should just allow people to mistreat you or harm you. The wise, the wise men, said the wise see danger and they take refuge. They create boundaries. They remove themselves from situations. They get away from it. They establish boundaries. They take personal responsibility for their own feelings, their own attitudes, their own behaviors, their own choices, their own limitations, their own thoughts, their own values, their own talents, and their own love. I'm responsible for that. I'm responsible to do it. I can't coerce and create somebody else to do that. It's not within my power. But I can myself. So I have a responsibility to myself to work on those things. And then there are some things that I have to say no to. Jesus in his ministry exemplified this. Jesus didn't just say yes to everything. He said no to the crowds and he found solitude and rest. An angry mob tried to throw him off a cliff and he removed himself from their presence. He did not indulge in baiting and manipulation of the Pharisees. They were constantly trying to get him caught up in traps and arguments. He rejected his very own disciples that desired him to be a political ruler and set them up in political offices. He said, no, this is not the way of the kingdom. He didn't allow his own mother to dictate his ministry for her own agenda. One particular case, she comes with his brothers and says, I need to talk to you. And a crowd, and a messenger comes, he's ministering. And the messenger said, your mother and your brothers are wanting to speak with you. And he said, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? His agenda was greater. And, and so he, he didn't always say yes. There were things in his life that he established in his ministry that wasn't just being uh, a doormat. He set some boundaries. And, and that's where counsel comes in. The wise man said, in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. If you're following the roadmap that Jesus has given and Paul gives to us in the New Testament, the blueprint and the roadmap, and that's the direction that you're going, then you're also going to have to establish some boundaries in your life. And you need to be very, very careful about establishing those boundaries. Sometimes you need to talk to people. You need wise counsel in your life. You need to get some advice. In some cases, the situation may be so toxic, you may need to get into some some counseling, family therapy that can help and direct you and produce healthy relationships. But if you're just arbitrarily setting your own boundaries without getting advice from the scripture, the word of God, the man of God, your pastor, you're just gonna go out here and you're gonna do this. I've seen this so many times. Sometimes people will, will rather say, I'm just gonna go do this and then ask for forgiveness later. And I've seen the end result of that. doesn't mean it always ends that way, but it's not wise. It's not wise to do things on your own, set your own boundaries, do your own thing 
without getting some wise counsel that can help you and that can direct you and that can guide you. Conflict within a relationship is inevitable. We are responsible for investing in our relationship, growing together and enduring difficult times. This commitment results in deeply connected bonds and people in our lives who help us when we are in need. Ecclesiastes, not too far from Proverbs, chapter 4 and verse number 9, says this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he that hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat, but how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. A wise man is talking about relationships. And in this discussion, we're talking about starting the discussion with the ideal. And much of Scripture is like this. And this has really helped me in my personal ministry in working with people. The Scripture and Jesus always raises up an ideal. And then you, you, you practice the ideal and you try to match the ideal as close as you can to reality. And Paul, Paul tells us that when he says, I haven't achieved or arrived, but I'm pressing toward the mark. I'm striving for something that is beyond me. And that's the ideal. So in a lot of scripture, there is an ideal that is presented. This, this notion of what love is and the way that it's defined and the responsibilities we should have toward it and the boundaries that we should place in our life, those are ideals. The practicality of it is the living out of it. Our, our approach is to first employ the ideal and then establish the boundaries in our lives and the practicality and the reality of our relationships and the conflicts that occur and what we have, what we do with that and how we're going to respond to that and all of that. That's our overarching responsibility. It's easy to state and it's much harder to live out. We go through tough times, um, difficult times, but the wise man said here that a healthy relationship, two is better than one. They have a good reward. If, if somebody falls, one will lift up his fellow. And healthy relationships create bonds. A threefold cord is not easily broken. It's much stronger than a twofold. Creates bonds that are not easily broken. And friendships that lifts us up when we fall. Jesus gives to us the blueprint, the two commandments. Paul gives to us a road map. And he tells us what love is. And then we have to establish boundaries in our life based on that knowledge. And we need to approach those boundaries with wisdom and understanding. Um, reflect upon those things, pray about those things, but also recognize and understand 
there's some boundaries and some friendships and some places and th some things and some people that I am creating boundaries in my life because they're not what love it. They don't bring encouragement. They're not edifying. They don't lift up. They're not honest, transparent. They're not forgiving. See, you put all these pieces into an environment that creates itself a, a safe and healthy relationship that brings security. That's not something that that you want to just so easily dismantle. And so if that's something that you want to build in your own personal life and in your family, in your marriage, in your relationships with other people, if that's something that's important to you, you'll think about, you'll think about those boundaries and you'll think about all those components when it comes to healthy relationships. If it's drama and it's why'd you lie about this and you talked bad about this, and you did this. All right, something is seriously wrong with, with my ability to understand what the Scripture is and how it places me in a place and gives me the ability to establish some boundaries in my life. If those things are at play, you've got to establish the boundaries and you've got to remove those areas that, that's creating the insecurity and the distrust because love is not those things. One of the last things that Paul describes as what love is, is what I want to end with. Because when you look at it and the way he lays it out, you can see all these pieces that make up the whole. So patience, kindness, contentedness, humility, encouraging, forgiving, honest, all of those elements, right? They make up all these pieces, they make up a general environment of protection and trust. And that's what we're all striving. I want to be in relationships where uh, there's an environment in which there's safety and trust and not distrust. That's what I want. And I think everybody wants that. Um, and so establishing the boundaries is the practical side of, of the ideal. Uh, but the last thing that he gives in that long list of what love is that's really powerful that happens at the end is he says, love always hopes and perseveres. That love doesn't give up. That love is hope. Love, love is always... So some of you may have felt some condemnation because... <laughs> I'm not in this secure place and I feel insecure. Love built right into the definition and the roadmap of love is but what can be. And so built into that definition is love is hopeful and love is enduring. Love says, okay, maybe these elements aren't playing, the environment's not what we want it to be, but it hopes for and it endures. It works through, it resolves, it tries to figure out every means possible, and it hopes for a better day. That's what love is. Real love does not give up, and we may be disappointed, but love has a faith 
that says, no matter what your disappointment is, there's a better day in the future. And so love always points us forward. It never points us backwards. Amen. We need to pray that God helps us. Strong churches are made of people who have strong relationships and healthy relationships with each other. And the wise man said it so well, a threefold cord is not easily broken. Why do you think he would talk about that? Because the forging of relationships creates a bond, should create a bond that is stronger than the bonds and connections and relationships in our world that is around us. This is one of the reasons why people should come to the church is because they feel that security and they feel that safety. They feel that protection. And, and the reason why the church should be promoting that is because it's what Jesus has given to us. Amen. And if we're not measuring up where we need to be, God help us and God forgive us. Help us to be closer to what you're desiring us to be. And that's what we, we need to pray. We need to pray that God helps us have healthy relationships. We need to pray for each member in our church to lead us in the right direction, to help us make boundaries and forge boundaries that are going to be helpful to us in our spiritual walk with God. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you and praise you. And I know that your word speaks so very, very well about what love is and you exemplified that to us. You've given that to us in your own life and example. And we are called to follow the same example. And so we ask that you would help us understand the concept of what love is and at the same time give to us the wisdom to establish boundaries. Not just arbitrarily based on our own feelings and emotions, but help your word to be a very, uh, very real part of, of helping us understand what that is. I pray that you would help us and you would strengthen us so the church would be an environment of trust, an environment of safety and strength and help. And we ask that your anointing and your presence would be in this and part of each and every one of us and our families. Amen. I pray that you would cover us with your ability and your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Thursday night. Thursday night at the tent. Revival. Great things happening. We're going to baptize somebody Thursday night. People have received the Holy Ghost. And so no matter what the heat says or what, it's not dictating to us the fact that we're still going to have a move of God. So we'll see you Thursday night. God bless you.